Our first scripture reading this morning is the 126th Psalm. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Our second scripture reading today is from Philippians chapter 4. I'll be reading 10 through 14, even though the bulletin says 13. We'll go 10 through 14, Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly now. At last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. I don't know, uh, Sherry's been under the weather lately. So Sherry, since I know you've been feeling under the weather, I feel like we had to start with a name that tune this morning, just for Sherry. I wasn't that. No, I'm talking about the one I'm about to give you. <laughs> yeah, we know that one. Okay. All right, here goes. Let's see if this is like Sherry's been feeling lately. I get up in the evening and I ain't got nothing to say. You can't if it's that. Never, never. <laughs> Ooh. I, I come home in the morning and I go to bed feeling the same way. I ain't nothing but tired. Man, I'm just tired and bored with myself. Hey there, baby, I could use just a little help. Bonnie. Look at this. Oh my goodness, Andy is all over it. Man, man. Message keeps getting clear, radio's on, and I'm moving around the place. I check my look in the mirror. I want to change my clothes, my hair, my face. Man, I ain't getting nowhere. I'm just living in a dump like this. There's something happening somewhere, baby. I just know that there is. You can't start a fire. Can't start a fire without a spark. This gun's for hire, even if we're just dancing in the dark. Dancing in the dark. It's the boss, Bruce Frederick Joseph Springsteen. He wrote this song about his difficulty in writing a hit single and his frustration trying to write songs that will please people. His struggles came out in the lyric where he feels like a hired gun dying for some action. Ironically, this song was a hit single, the biggest of his career in terms of being on the U.S. charts. It was the last song written for the Born in the USA album. He wrote it after his manager, John Landau, demanded a hit single for the album. After a brief altercation, which I wondered must, what that must have been like, he complied and wrote it that same night. A classic case of a manager or record executive getting an artist so fired up that the energy channels into a hit, giving them exactly what they were looking for. Now, although this song advanced his career, it's not like he had not already been successful with six albums produced, but this song and this album propelled him to superstar status. Last Sunday afternoon, I was watching CBS Sunday Morning, which I recorded on Sunday morning because I'm in church on Sunday morning, and there was a story by Mo Rocca 
about a restaurant in New York City that was voted the number one restaurant in the world last spring. Did anybody see this? It's fascinating. The name of the restaurant is 11 Madison Park. Voted number one restaurant in the world, not just in New York City or United States, in the world. So what better time then to shut the place down and start all over again? Yes, you heard that right. Shortly after being named the number one restaurant in the world, over four months last summer, the dining room was stripped bare and the kitchen, where 70 chefs normally work, was gutted. Much of the metal, pots and pans, cabinets and countertops, was repurposed by artist Daniel Turner. Rocca asked, so you melted all the kitchen appliances, basically. Yes, said Turner, into this solid block that will now be the step into the new restaurant. The idea is you have to go through the past to be in the present. And Rocca ends the story in this way. He says, one thing hasn't changed at 11 Madison Park. It is still a very expensive night out at around, get this, $300 a person. $300 a person. (laughs) Kenneth, you ready to go? (laughs) About the price of a ticket to a hot Broadway show and a responsibility that the owner says he doesn't take lightly. He says anyone who walks through these doors, you know, they maybe waited a long time to come here. And maybe they saved up for it to come here. No kidding. And they want to have a great experience and we have the responsibility to hopefully deliver. Rock says, of course, you can improve on number one restaurant in the world, so if it ain't broke, why fix it? The owner said, there's actually a favorite saying by an artist I like very much. His name is William de Kooning. And he said, I have to change to stay the same. And I feel very much that it's so true for this restaurant. If we would stop changing, we would lose who we are. Two interesting stories with similar themes accentuated by these quotes. I have to change to stay the same. And if we would stop changing, we would lose who we are. Today and this week, we are looking at the spiritual discipline of celebration. The author of our study once again quotes Dallas Willard in today's study, uh, who wrote of the discipline of celebration as one of the most important disciplines of engagement, yet most overlooked and misunderstood. We engage in celebration when we enjoy ourselves, our life, our world, in conjunction with our faith and confidence in God's greatness beauty, and goodness. The author goes on to write in regard to celebration, we remember the gift of our life and world and seek to celebrate God's gracious action towards us and others. Now we certainly live in a culture that believes in celebration. I have recently become a Snapchat member. Okay, can you believe that? I know, you know, Snapchat is probably not in vogue anymore, but it is with college students anyway. And so with Snapchat, 
Corey's just giving me like the evil eye here, okay? With, with Snapchat, you can just pick a place on the map, and if that place is glowing, that means someone has recently posted a Snapchat. So you touch the spot on the map, and it shows what somebody has recorded. It's just like this few seconds of a recording, and you know, and then it'll go to the next one. And all these people, what they're recording, and you don't know who they are. You just see what they've recorded. And then after a little while, after a few days, it goes away. I'm amazed at the number of Snapchats that are simply videos showing some night spot with music and dancing, etc., just showing where they happen to be supposedly and apparently celebrating. There is so much of that. Just point at a place and look, and invariably there's going to be uh, one of uh, a club or something where someone's celebrating. Uh, we love to celebrate. In the same vein, from time to time, I see reports of the best places to live in the United States, the best cities to live in the United States. And without fail, one of the criteria will be what the nightlife is like. How many clubs are available? It would seem that there is no shortage of the desire to celebrate in our world. And yet I would submit to you that is not the kind of celebration to which we are referring when we speak of the discipline of celebration. I go back to Dallas Willard's description of celebration. We engage in celebration when we enjoy ourselves, our life, our world, that's where some of these celebrations end because the last part is important in conjunction with our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty, and goodness. Reading that description reminded me of the passage from Philippians when Paul writes, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. And he goes on to say, and in all circumstances. In his commentary on this passage, Stephen Cole writes the following. In Philippians 4, 10 through 13, a man who sits in prison because of corrupt officials awaiting possible execution over false charges tells us how to find contentment. The answer lies buried in the midst of a thank you note. The Philippian church has sent a financial gift to Paul the prisoner. He wants to express his heartfelt thanks, but at the same time, he doesn't want to give the impression that the Lord was not sufficient for his every need. Even though he had been in a very difficult situation, he doesn't want his donors to think that he had been discontented before the gift arrived. But he does want them to know that their generosity was truly appreciated. Paul is an interesting subject when it comes to the topic of contentment. When he describes all circumstances, he means all circumstances. He's had a quite a few of those circumstances to talk about. I've read it to you before, but listen again to some of those circumstances Paul described in 2 Corinthians. He writes, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, which I would guess would be 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day in the open sea, I've been constantly on the move, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, 
and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And if that wasn't enough, Paul experienced one of my worst fears in Acts 28. We read, After we had reached safety, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us unusual kindness. Since it had begun to rain and was cold, they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us around it. Paul had gathered a bundle of brushwood and was putting it on the fire when a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. Oh my goodness. Just go ahead and bury me. I mean, oh. We go on to read in that scripture that Paul shook the viper off his hand and it went back into the fire. Yikes. It's like it's time to get back on the boat and get out of Malta. No more Malta. With all this, Paul writes that he has learned to be content. So what does this have to do with the spiritual discipline of celebration? Well, only everything. That is, if we're talking about celebration in terms of enjoying ourselves, our life, and our world in conjunction with who God is in our lives. And therein lies a temptation. It may be tempting for us to say, well, if I can be content in all circumstances, then why not just maintain the status quo? I'll park myself right here in this circumstance, and I'll just stay right where I am. Why should I ever seek to change? Why should anyone ever seek to change? Why would we want to try something different? I mean, we can be content with doing exactly what we're doing right here, right now. And that may be true, but let me turn this thinking around. Because we can be content in all circumstances, that's precisely the reason that we should feel free to branch out, to try something new or different, to be willing to change. To take a risk. For if we can be content regardless of our circumstances, then we should be able to be content if our circumstances change. It certainly didn't stop the Apostle Paul from reaching out and doing new and different things, and it shouldn't stop us either. Otherwise, I'm afraid that our lives become stagnant with no movement. In preparing the sermon, it occurred to me that the antithesis of celebration might just be stagnation. Some definitions of stagnation include a failure to develop, progress, or advance. But what about this one? The state or quality of being or feeling sluggish and dull. Sluggish and dull doesn't sound like someone who is celebrating, does it? You see, I don't think the two can coexist. I'm just not sure that we can be stagnant and celebrate 
at the same time. Maybe that's why the boss felt compelled to write the lyrics of a song in one night. Maybe that's why the number one rated restaurant in the world chose to dismantle everything and start over. Andy, maybe that's why teachers choose to update their notes. The old cliche holds true for some teachers who have one year experience 30 times over. It's the history teacher who must not think anything has happened since the mid-70s because that's where his or her notes end. I just finished teaching on altered states of consciousness. How can you not include a discussion of the current opioid crisis when speaking of drug-induced states of consciousness? We change. In short, we can either celebrate life and its goodness, or we can and will become stagnant. We can either enjoy ourselves, our life, our world in conjunction with our faith and confidence in who God is in us, or we can stay as we are and become stagnant. We can feel free to ask questions, deep theological questions with deep theological implications, or we can keep our current set of beliefs in the same box and become stagnant. We can be risk takers. We can put ourselves out there. We can venture into unknown territory. Or we can remain within these four walls all the time and become stagnant. It's a choice. It's a choice that Paul made. It's a choice that comes our way every day. The story goes that an airline pilot was flying over the Tennessee mountains and pointed out a lake to his co-pilot. See that little lake, he said. When I was a kid, I used to sit in a rowboat down there fishing. Every time a plane would fly overhead, I'd look up and wish I was flying it. Now, I look down and wish I was in a rowboat fishing. Do you ever notice someone who seems to have all the goodness that life can give but yet when you see them or converse with them, it's obvious they're not content. They never smile. Celebration of life seems to have left them. On the other hand, have you ever experienced someone who has really been through the school of hard knocks, maybe who struggles even with life's necessities, but seeing them and talking to them, you come away better for the experience. They put a smile on your face. They've learned to celebrate life in whatever circumstances they find themselves in. So, celebration or stagnation? What will it be? What will your life reflect, not just during this Lenten season, but beyond. What will my life reflect? What will the life of our church reflect? And might this be a lesson for all of us this Lenten season as we attempt to engage in the spiritual discipline of celebration by enjoying ourselves, enjoying our life, enjoying our world, in conjunction with our faith and confidence in God's greatness 
God's beauty and God's goodness. Let's pray.